Welcome to the Web 2.0 Show with your hosts, Josh Owens and Chris Saylor. We're a show about the new web, the latest thoughts and technology behind internet development and content delivery. Welcome to episode 13. We decided to do a pre-interview portion of the show this time. I know that's, that's kind of rare for Chris <laughs> and I. We uh, usually don't don't really have time to sit down and do this kind of thing, but there's so much that has been going on lately that we really wanted to uh, sit down and talk about some of it and uh, let you guys know what we're doing and, and what, what we have been watching going on in the, the Web 2.0 community. First up was our trip to South by Southwest. You want to go into that a little bit, Chris? Absolutely amazing. If you don't go next year, you're really going to miss out. Uh, really, the words for it is, are inspiring, and it's just it was just amazing to see all all these creative people doing their thing. Yeah, there's definitely some excellent stuff. I know the uh, kind of the theme was bootstrapping your business, and the main idea behind that is really just execution. Yeah, I mean, I'll forget how many. I heard like half a dozen times the word execution. Execute. Yeah, yeah. execute. It, it was a big word down there. It doesn't matter whether you think your idea is good or you think your idea is crap. If you get something out there and let the community help you reiterate it, I think that's really what they were driving at with that idea is, you know, just get it out there. Yeah. Let <laughs> it let it grow on its own, and it'll happen, I think. You it's know? kind of funny you should mention that idea being crap because one of the things that um, Jason, uh, Jason Freed mentioned in his keynote interview was you need to convince at least one other person. If you can't convince at least one other person, then your idea probably is crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Very, very true. The other thing is, and we've heard Jason talk about it before here on this podcast, and he talked about it during his keynote, you may have this huge, great idea, but in the end, you should really just pick a couple of things from that idea, build it, and get it out the door. I think yeah. that's one thing that you and I ran into, Chris, with Agenda. We had these great ideas, and we just never executed them well at all. It was just like, where do you start? We've got like <laughs> yeah. 30 different things. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess it's kind of death knell of Agenda. Now that Google CL2 is coming out, I don't, I don't know if anyone caught the screenshots of that. Did you see that on TechCrunch? I did, actually. Yeah. And I hope it ends up better than their feed reader because, I don't know, I thought their feed reader was crap. Yeah, some of their stuff feels a little rushed. I'm hoping they put a little more thought into this one. Or maybe they should hire Adaptive Path to do the interface design. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, we're interviewing Lane Becker. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be coming up here in just a few minutes. I guess one of the other th- Oh, actually, well, before you move on, I did want to apologize. Um, uh, we kind of stopped blogging there about South by Southwest Um like on Sunday, because we got swamped. Um, we actually didn't yeah, get sure. to go to many of the panels. Yeah, we ended up just recording hours of hours of podcasts with uh, with with various people. It was absolutely amazing to meet all these industry leaders. Like, um, you know, like. Well, here like, I've got the list right here. We interviewed yeah. uh, Greg Story and Jason Santa Maria. We we interviewed them together. They were uh, <laughs> quite funny. <laughs> We interviewed Sean Inman, uh, Tontak Chelik, and Ryan King together. Uh, Ryan's they, hilarious. They, yeah, they were pretty funny. <laughs> there was a big announcement on that one, too. Um, and then we interviewed Jeff Veen, Jeffrey Zeldman. Uh, and some of this stuff will be taken. We're, uh, we're working on our first uh, 
podumentary, <laughs> um, queer little word we made up there, where we're going to profile the Magnolia team that built the application and the team that built, you know, the interface for it, start to finish, uh, you know, how a Web 2.0 type product, the concept to the release of it, how that all came together. So that that'll be interesting. That's uh, we're still trying to schedule some of the interviews for that. Oh. As far as South by Southwest. Yeah, we Jeffrey. Uh, we met Jeffrey Gersenbach too. I think that's how you say oh, yeah. the name. Oh, that's right. We met Why the Lucky Stiff. Oh uh, yeah, that yeah. Was pretty cool. Yeah, we we <laughs> actually met them at the same same little event there. Jeffrey actually mentioned us uh, on a podcast he did while he was down there. Talked about us and our show and uh, our hosting service, Steel Pixel. I feel like maybe we should return the shout out there. Jeffrey Gersenbach does the Rails podcast. He's also putting on a workshop, Carson workshop, over in London, I believe March 30th. We'll link that in the show notes. He's a really cool guy, and uh, I'm sure it'll be an awesome, awesome event to attend. And, and what's his workshop? Uh, Carson workshops. <laughs> no, I meant what's he actually doing? Oh, it's uh, <laughs> teaching about Ruby on Rails. I don't, I forget the exact name of it. But I'm sure it'll be awesome. I mean, you know, anything about rails. <laughs> Hot stuff. Fanboy. Shut it. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of uh, Carson workshops, we, we got to meet Ryan Carson and his wife, Jill, who we just interviewed on the last podcast. Very cool people. That was awesome. Yep. And then uh, I guess the other thing we did while we were down there at South by Southwest was just code like madmen. We had an idea probably a little over a couple weeks ago now. We've been slowly working on it, but we're really ramping up on it. Uh, It's a podcast tracking service uh, in the sense of tracking downloads. We were really impressed with stuff we saw with, like, Measure Map and how it was more specific to blogs, and I think we're trying to do that. And being the stats junkies that we are, there really isn't a good way to track podcasts. Yeah. Um, It sucks. We use AW stats. We use the, well, we use the excellent Mint. But however, there's a um, there was a plugin for uh, a pepper for Mint actually that would track files, but it, it 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 broke for some people. We'd really love to be able to track that, track our downloads. Yeah, and actually we've we've started using it. Uh, we don't have very many reports written, but the the code is actually funking, <laughs> functioning <laughs> for the tracking portion. So it's kind of cool. We'll uh, hopefully be releasing that in the next couple weeks. And if you notice anything odd, please yeah, let us know. Absolutely. I mean, if you have trouble getting this podcast through the feed, we definitely want to know about it. Kind of segues into our next topic, uh, Steel Pixel. We just did the redesign. Lisa McMillan did the design for the Web 2.0 show, and she also did a logo for Steel Pixel. But uh, she kind of disappeared on us. She um, had some illness, and uh, she, she hasn't really had any time to get on the computer at all kind of sucks. Yeah, we wish her the best, though. Yeah, good luck, Lisa. Get better. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we're, we're always looking for feedback from you guys. I mean, you know, we're, we're coders, not designers, so we think it sucks, but it's functional. So, But we can't afford real designers yet, but, hey, we're working on that. We actually have an idea. Um, should we go ahead and mention it now? Yeah, sure. Why not? You're up for it? Yeah. Um, TextDrive originally started this, but like all good ideas... Um, they propagate. Yeah. And the idea is that Josh and I don't want to take on any... (laughs) Josh and I don't want to take on any external VC because really we just want to build a a solid business and, 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 you know, podcast and host and write cool apps 
for ourselves and for for people for just as a real day job. Yeah. You know, this is this is you know all this stuff we've been working on an hour hour before we you know an hour in the morning and uh, an hour at night or some crazy four hour block when I just have a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> So what we're going to be doing is actually selling hosting for life. Um, what you may not know is that Josh and I have actually been running a very, very small hosting company for the last four years. Um, we'd like to actually take that to the next level, and hopefully with uh, you know with your guys' help, we can do that. Yeah. And, you know, hey, uh, if, this, if the hosting becomes our full-time job, that's obviously going to give us more time for the podcast. And that that does bring up another interesting point that, I don't. We've kind of been agonizing over is, you know, how often do you guys want to see the content come out from us? I mean, I've got five possible episodes sitting on my laptop right now, and you know, we have no backed idea. up. I hope, huh? <laughs> I hope it's backed up. Oh crap! I knew I forgot something. <laughs> <laughs> now, in all seriousness, you know, we have no idea. I mean, do you guys want to see content? Once a week, twice a week, three times a week. I'm not sure how many podcasts our average listener downloads. You know, I mean, uh, personally, one a day is is my kind of consumption rate. So uh, I've got a couple that I listen to, so it takes me a while to kind of get caught up. Sometimes I have to sit down and and listen to two or three of them, kind of get through it. But, you know, I I don't know what you guys are looking for. So I don't, we'd definitely be looking for some feedback on that. I guess we'll we'll post that in the show notes. Yeah. We'll look for comments or audio comments. If you guys want to send us, record a little MP3, send it in to us. I can uh, try to audio engineer it, and we'll drop it right in. And, and you know, hey, cool, we'll answer your questions live. Oh, well, where um, where where can people send those audio comments? Uh, Web2oshow at gmail.com. That goes to both Chris and I. I would like to mention um, our, you know, our readers have been uh, listeners, actually. Um, readers and listeners. Actually, at this point, I would like to mention that we are blogging at web2oshow.com. So for those of so for those of you who only have us in iTunes, please put us in your feed reader as well. So, on that note, uh, some people actually have written in um, with some cool stuff that they're doing. Matt Miller has uh, released a project, bitemycode.com. Uh, it's B-Y-T-E, by the way, bitemycode.com. And it's supposed to. It's a. It's actually. It's a code repository for various programming languages, and it's you know got all the Web 2.0 goodness in it. Uh, so check that out. Yeah, and then uh, I don't. We get a lot of stuff from this guy. Uh, ESBN.org. ESBN, as in Electronic Standard Book Number.org, and they just changed the name, but we couldn't seem to find it because I don't. Their sites were down, but a lot of press about them. I guess they're they're doing something similar to ISBN. Uh, for the web, so that that definitely looks cool. I think it's called Numly now. Is that what you said, Chris? I, I well, yeah. When you type in ESPN.org, it goes to Numly.com now. Um, this is actually kind of important because with all of us opening up our content available via you know machine readable format, now it's open for stealing. And there are people that are unfortunately actually basing business models off of stealing people's content, and it's really unfortunate. So the idea behind ESPN.org is to um, give each piece of your content uh, a tracking code, so that you know that that everybody else knows that content you know was produced by you. And then the uh, the ever funny web generator.com it uh, creates a whole web two o theme <laughs> for you <laughs> based on a few colors you punch in. It's funny stuff. You punch in a name and uh, it creates a nice. It's got rounded corners and 
it's XHTML and it's got all the nice uh, you know Web 2.0 buzzwords. Drop shadows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we made a lot of jokes about that this this past weekend. We're <laughs> down yeah. at South by Southwest. It's definitely become cliche. So. <laughs> uh, but that was uh, John Paul Davies. Yeah, yeah, he's a .NET developer. He actually uh, he wrote that. Ooh, .NET. Now, now. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. We're platform agnostic. Oh, we accept everybody. <laughs> and uh, I guess one of the last things uh, you'll be hearing shortly is the we have a roving field reporter, uh, Nick Denice. He uh, went to Bar Camp LA, did some interviews on our behalf. So I think he's got seven of those total. And uh, we'll be releasing those every Thursday for, I guess, the next seven Thursdays. I guess if anyone else has similar ideas, we're, we're open to roving field reporters now. Justin Schultz sent in a, a uh, Ajax toy box. I'll post a link to it in the blog. It's funwithjustin.com slash Ajax dash toy box. It's actually a series of beginners Ajax examples and tutorials. That looks pretty cool. Check that out. And then uh, giraffenext.com has released uh, some tutorials on Ajax and PHP. Oh, and one more thing. Um, <laughs> a Web 2.0 comics. I actually, uh, actually played with this for a little bit. It's, it's kind of fun. But you actually go online and you can, you can build a comic right, in, uh, right on the website. Oh, and really? Publish it. Yeah. Did you build one? <laughs> yeah, but you know how creative I am. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I know you've always wanted to do a comic. <laughs> Funny stuff. Still working on my drawing skills. <laughs> but that's it. Uh, I don't even have to pronounce this. Mainada.net slash comics. And, of course, I'll link that in the, the show notes. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I guess without further ado, on to the interview with Lane Becker from Adaptive Path. We have Lane Becker from Adaptive Path with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Lane, where you're from, uh, your background as far as things you've done in the past, that kind of thing. Where, where am I from, like, originally? Uh, yeah, that's a weird question for me. Uh, you know, today is the fifth anniversary of Adaptive Path. We started on March 2nd, 2001, and it's now March 2nd, 2006. That was 321, which was convenient and easy to remember. I mentioned that just because I realized today that having been at this company for five years uh, makes it four years longer than I've ever been at any other company. Um, which is sad, I guess, but also a, a sign of the times. I don't know. Um, before, yeah, probably like most of us. <laughs> yeah, really. Before uh, before Adaptive Path, I worked for a couple of consulting companies like Frog Design. I had another startup that was called Deep Leap back in the day. I worked for, I originally, more or less, I would claim as my hometown, Austin, Texas. And uh, when I got started in web stuff in 93, 94, it was working for the University of Texas at Austin doing websites for different departments. And then when I graduated, I had a degree in film and liberal arts. So I just started working for startups in like 94, 95. There were even some around back then. And pretty much rode out the first uh, dot-com wave working for. I worked for a bunch of them. I did. I worked for Deja News, which became Deja.com. I did consulting work for Garden.com and uh, oh, yeah. briefly. Yeah. and. And for uh, drcoop.com, I mean, way back in the day. So you remember these, they're long gone now. <laughs> yeah. I do remember Deja, though. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a little bit of a fiasco. It's funny looking at the, I mean, I remember when the Google Google's interface came out in 99. When Google came out in 99, and, you know, the Google interface was all clean and sparse, and it was just a search box and a couple buttons, and uh, everybody was... You know, praising that, including the people at, at Deja.com. And I was like, come on, 
people. That was what Deja News looked like three years ago, which is unsurprising, right? It was the same crowd. It was a techie crowd. They just they blew it big time. Right, but then actually Deja News got picked up by Google. <laughs> Barely. I mean, you can hardly call it picked up. It was a total. Well, so the the Deja News part of it, the Usenet part, got picked up by Google for a song, right. like for no money at all. I mean, <laughs> when you consider that they dumped almost fifty million dollars into that company, let's just say it didn't sell for a hundredth of that. And uh, uh-huh. and uh, and then the other half of it, the Deja.com stuff, which was all this shopping e-commerce stuff, they they built this whole scraping thing, like back when they were doing site scraping, like all of those MySimon type sites, they they sold that half to Half.com. So I guess those guys work for eBay now, assuming any of them are still there. <laughs> now, you currently work for Adaptive Path. Uh, what do you do there? Uh, well, I'm one of the founders, uh, although, I mean, there were seven of us at the time. Uh, four, four of us are left. I uh, I do a lot of things here. I mean, everybody does. My job title is Director of New Ventures. To understand what that means, I need to sort of give you a little bit of background on the company. We're a, kind of a bizarre company. Uh, we fit everything under this sort of umbrella of what we call user experience or user experience design. And we look at our business as just doing anything that is related to user experience or user experience design, you know, as we define it. So we started off as a consulting company, and consulting still makes up a pretty significant portion of what we do. So we have a consulting business that works for companies all the way from Fortune 500s to, I mean, we've worked for NGOs, we've worked for the United Nations, you know, we've worked for big brands like Hallmark, all the way down to startups. You know, we do a lot of work in the startup space, most recently with a company called Sphere that hasn't even actually gotten out of private beta yet. You know, other startups that we've done work for include we've worked for Flickr and we've worked for Rojo and we've worked for Ning. I mean, we've worked for a lot of different startups mm-hmm. and many of them obviously in the Web 2.0 space. Right. Spear is the, uh, that's the one that Matt Mullenweg is working on, isn't it? Uh, no, Matt Mullenweg's working on, his company's called Automatic. Matt with two T's. Yeah. Hmm. And, however, the CEO, here's, here's the connection. The CEO of Automatic, who just joined the company, is a guy named, a really nice guy named Tony Schneider. I'm starting to realize that this whole Web 2.0 thing is actually a lot more like high school than I had previously realized. But anyway, um, <laughs> Matt, uh, so like Matt, um, got Tony as his CEO, and uh, and Tony is one of the. I'm not sure if he counts as a founder or not, but at least one of the advisors to Sphere. So there's sort of a connection there between Sphere and Math Company. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be how things work around here. I I guess it really is true. It really is all who you know. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. So so there's a couple other things just to give you more background on me. There's um. So there's, we do consulting. We do a whole series of events. That's workshops. That's corporate training. We have a big user experience conference we do in D.C. every August. So events is another line of business that we have. Product development is a third line of business that's dormant right now because we started it. We launched it. We built MeasureMap. We sold MeasureMap to Google. MeasureMap was our first product. We also didn't, we didn't even get that out of private alpha before we sold it, um, not that I'm <laughs> complaining. So the product development line is dormant right now, so we could always pick it up again. And then we have well, this part of the team went with it, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. So uh, Jeff Veen and some of the folks that were working on it went over to Google with it to, to you know, do whatever it is they're going to do over there. <laughs> and so all of this leads into my job, which is director of New Ventures. And New Ventures is this new thing that we're doing. It's a new line of business. Um, it is specifically devoted to working with early stage and seed stage startups. 
is one of the things we've noticed working for a handful of startups over the years is that we've had a lot of success with them, um, but the startups have a really different, including our own MeasureMap, which is basically a startup that we created in-house. They have a really different set of needs and requirements, and traditional consulting engagements where you just do like beginning, middle, end, and then you're gone don't work so well. But there's a lot of value to startups in working with us because we have a perspective on the industry. We have a, you know, we're really at the forefront of a lot of, of a lot of this design work and a lot of the thinking around this design work. And we can apply some of the lessons we've learned working for enterprise class companies to the, to the work that we do with startups, right? So New Ventures is basically it's an attempt to do that, um, to work really specifically with a set number of early stage, seed stage startups, and do it for equity as opposed to cash. Okay, so these uh, so are guys that are. So these are guys that are actually like pre-VC and maybe even pre-angel funding. Um, not necessarily. Um, I mean, we're working. We're, I'm, I'm interested. A caveat here is that this is all stuff that we're just starting out. I, I think I'm, we're looking less. And I'm so and I, by saying that, I'm just saying I'm not sure exactly what mm-hmm. kind of companies we're going to be working with yet because I'm still figuring well, it out. Like, I guess my point was, you're actually you don't have to have a large amount of cash to hire your services because you're. Oh. Exactly. You'll you'll go in and, and help them out based on equity of the right. Exactly. I mean, okay. I think probably like a guy a guy or two guys with an idea is a little too early for us. I think we need the idea to be a little more formed than that. But yeah, okay. absolutely. Like maybe you've just taken angel. I'm basically treating this as if adaptive path where you're angel investor, right? So we're gonna do we do due diligence on our side. We're gonna make sure that we can work with you and that we can add value to your company. I mean, real value to your company and your product. And uh, and then yeah, we're treating it as an investment because we are, you know. You're right. Our consulting practice, very expensive. And um, <laughs> this is, I think it's a way for us to get involved in the kind of projects. Like we, I mean, we all, we all do this stuff around here because we love it mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And, and we want right. to find ways to work with companies like this. So, yeah, Excellent. basically, yeah, it's a great way to get uh, work from Adaptive Path and not have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> pay for it up front anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a win-win thing, though, if it shakes out well on the other side. Right. Yeah, of course. And not to mention, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of rough edges around startups. And so if you can polish those out and get the market quicker on your idea, then it's just all the better for everybody anyway. That That is exactly the idea behind it. Um, I feel like a, a lot of companies around here have just an immense amount of – it's Silicon Valley, right? There's an immense amount of technological skill. And uh, mm-hmm. they totally bring that to the table. And But there's a real challenge – you know, with Valley companies and particularly technology companies and figuring out how to make a good product, you know, and that's really what we do at Adaptive Path. We think about product development. We think about your market. We think about your business, you know, and we do all that stuff that you'd expect us to do, like information architecture, interaction design, visual design, front-end development, like all of that. But our real competency is in helping you figure out how to take that really cool technology and figure out how to match it up to what people want and to make that into a product, right? A product that ideally they will pay for or at least that they will use in such huge quantities that some VC will figure out there's some way to monetize that traffic. You know, so that's, I mean, that's really what we see our skill as. It's how do we make that technology. A lot of Web 2.0 stuff is very much about like iterating and iterating and iterating until you get the product right. And I think that that is super valuable. We do a ton of iterative design around here ourselves. But I think that mm-hmm. working with us, you know, you can get to that point a lot faster. That's, that's my pitch cool. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Tell us about some of the uh, the other people you have on your team there. Uh, sure. Well, um, we have quite a wide-ranging group of, of folks. 
there's uh, people like me who sort of fall more in like the entrepreneurial camp. I mean, I have everybody here is kind of a generalist with a few exceptions. Like everybody here can kind of do a little bit of everything, but we all specialize in certain things. So I'm I'm sort of more in the entrepreneurial space. Um, you know, my, one of my partners is Jesse James Garrett, who uh, coined the term Ajax, and yes. uh, we love <laughs> term coining around here. And, and Jesse's just sort of a, he's just he's an amazing synthesizer. Or like he can think and he can model and and Ajax was very much in the spirit of a lot of this. He kind of had within the information architecture community some similar successes, and uh, in terms of thinking about how to synthesize a bunch of a bunch of disparate concepts into just one core idea, right? Um, it's very much sort of this active synthesis, right? Like not inventing something new necessarily. Ajax wasn't. It was just recognizing the value and putting a term on it, you know, and giving people something they could speak to and, and make use of. Yeah, that's actually one of the. That's actually one of the. Oh, that's really close to to the to the description that we gave in, in our in our first podcast when talking about the terms of of, of Web 2.0. You know, AJAX was just a term. You know, actually, it's very similar to Web 2.0. It's just this arbitrary term given to a group of technologies. Yeah. Technology. Yeah. Yeah. It's something for people to latch yeah. onto. Right. Yeah. Which, but it's all about recognizing. To me, it's all about. This is very, feels very much in the context of what I would consider user experience. It's about understanding the wider context in which something is going on, understanding, you know, the needs of the people that are out there, understanding the needs of the business or businesses that are out there, and figuring out how to coalesce all that at exactly the right moment into something that just, you know, just gains traction and takes off. I mean, you can do it with a word, you can do it with an application. Here's an interesting idea. I guess what would happen if, or what would have happened if, Tim O'Reilly had not given term Web 2.0. Would people have latched onto it and started building applications around all the, you know this whole group of ideas as it is as it is today? I, I kind of fall into the camp that like somebody somebody would have come up with a term at some point to, to describe it. Uh, you know whatever that might have been. There was just too much going on in it. There was just sort of too much going on, and it was it was sort of this desire just to. To recognize that there was something new and really fascinating happening. And I don't know. Yeah. I, I kind of like in science, you know, scientists are always racing to have a new discovery because they know that there's mm-hmm. probably another team out there that's doing pretty much the same thing, and they have to figure out how to get there first. I think, <laughs> it's, it's, I think a lot of it is just sort of of the moment. So the answer to your question is yes, I do think this would still be going on. We might just be calling it something else. Yeah, like <laughs> Bubble 2.0. <laughs> there's a lot of people are calling it. You were talking earlier about startup uh, Fortune 500 type companies. Mm-hmm. Is it easier for you guys to work with the startup, or is it easier to work with the big company that kind of already has things laid out? <laughs> well, it's never really easy to work with anybody. I mean, <laughs> it's just—I would say it's really like those are really different projects. You know, like mm-hmm. one of the things that we do around here is our all the work we do is really highly adaptable. Um, you know, so we don't have. We don't have like a process that like a five-step process that we come in and apply or anything. What we have is just a bunch of like tools, whether it's design tools or methodologies, it's tools and methodologies, whether it's design or research or implementation or strategy or like we do some, we even do organizational development, like how should your design team fit into your organization, stuff like that. They're all just tools that are aimed at delivering on a good product. So when a Fortune 500 company comes to us, we know that that's that a lot of that project is is going to be 
in a sense, selling the project internally, right? There's so there's hundreds of people at a Fortune 500 company that have to sign off on anything that we do or have an opinion about something that we're doing or something that we're building for them. And so we recognize that a project like that is just going to take a lot more time to get, to get everybody involved, to get everybody on board. And that's kind of a form of difficult, right? In the startup space, on the other hand, you know, you've got to deal with the fact that, like, the product is undefined. Even once you've defined the product for the first time, it's still kind of undefined, you know? Like, it's rapid and it's iterative and you have to be able, it's almost the opposite problem, right? I mean, it's less of a consensus. It's more about just like, how can we, how quickly can we move? You know, how many changes can we make? How do we know if we're making the right changes? How do we even know if we should be building this product at all? Like, it's just, does this make sense? It's just like a completely different set of questions. No yeah. easier or more difficult, equally challenging, but very, very different. That's interesting. I worked in Cincinnati for, a, for an extremely large company. I was working on a project, and we, we had to deliver a product for, you know, the, it was for all the laboratories in the entire company. And part of the problem was, was you know, like you said, getting buy-in from everybody. You know, everybody wanted to do their own thing or not do it at all. And the company had said, even though the company had said, thou shalt do this, you know, yeah. it's, uh, you still have to get buy-in. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't always work that way. It's, yeah, I mean... The, the thing that I would say that is the same for us, to that point, the thing that I would say that is the same for us between working for a startup, you know, working for a nonprofit, working for a Fortune 100, whoever it is we might be working for, is that mm -hmm. our goal is always to execute. And by to execute, I kill someone. I don't know. No, our goal is always to um, <laughs> figure out what it's going to take to get that thing that we're trying to build at the end of the day out the door. But not only out the door, like out the door and successful successful in every way that a product can be successful, right? Which means it's successful for the people who use it. It accomplishes the task or tasks they want to accomplish. But also that it's successful for the business, that it meets it meets the business goals that were set out for that product and that there is some way to define that success and measure that success, right? And that's true whether we're working for a startup, right? In which case there's a very specific set of things that mean that your startup is successful, right? Either you've got 5 million users or you, you know, sold to some larger organization or you went public, right? Those are success metrics in a really bizarre way. Mm -hmm. And inside a Fortune 500 or a Fortune 100 or, you know, Fortune whatever, it's kind of similar. It's just a different set of success metrics that you have to define and then make sure that your project product meets those on the way out the door. So to us, the political aspect you're talking about, when mm -hmm. we talk about working inside a large company and having to sell it all over the organization, that is part of the design process, right? Because that's what's necessary to get this thing out the door. Similarly for a startup, like just iterating through this project and going crazy and throwing stuff at the wall to see if it sticks or whatever it is you have to do, that's just part of the design process. Right. So that was, I was long and rambly, but you <laughs> probably get what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, it's well a lot of uh, I mean obviously the a lot of new startups you know really need to ask those questions it's like what is it going to take to make a successful product you know Yeah and people um, are just kind of throwing stuff out there and, and hoping that it sticks <laughs> Right and I mean we're starting to see this sort of glut in the marketplace where there's mm -hmm. a lot of repetition of features and a lot of I don't know why, if I want to call it a step out and call it a lack yet but like I think there are tough questions you have to ask when you're starting a company like how will this make money Right? Or if yeah. it's not supposed to make money now, how will it make money in the future? Like, what is my business plan for this? You know? And right. we're starting to fall back into that like 99, 2000 space where people are not asking those questions. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I would agree that like if you can figure out how to attract 
I mean, look at Mebo or something like that. If you can figure out how to attract 5 million users in six months or whatever crazy numbers they came up with, because I know it's up there somewhere, like, right. yeah, you're going to figure out how to make money off that. I have no doubt yeah. that's a lot of people. You have to be asking questions like that, like what is it going to take to get to 5 million users or what are the different ways that I can see to make money off this? And I feel like that is an important part of the design process, the product design <laughs> process as opposed to the interface design process is justifying its its viability, its business viability, right? Yeah, that that was actually something that just came up on the Signal versus Noise blog the other day. Oh, yeah? Jason Freed was talking oh, yeah, about... He, he was talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> him and uh, Russell Beatty, uh, I think that's how you say his name. Okay. Um, no, it's true, although in Jason's case he was saying specifically, you know, will you charge for it? And I don't personally think that will you charge for it is the mm-hmm. only way to make money off it you know what i mean yeah. like there are a lot of there are a lot of ways to make money off products that don't involve charging consumers yeah but you just can't make as much off you know the ad the ads on a website as you can well, if someone well, actually pays directly look at a I project mean, like firefox i mean firefox i mean they you know the browser is free and you would never think how in the world do they make money but every time someone types a search in that little google box you know they, they make a little bit of money and enough people use firefox to where that's a viable business true very true Sure. Same I also think Opera. there are some companies that are going to make going to make a viable business out of having a free consumer product that's basically a showpiece, um, mm. and uh, you know, and then you know, selling selling their services to other companies. I mean, that's still a viable option. That's certainly a model that's going to work for some companies. Right. You know, there's also companies that might be able to make uh, make money off the data that they collect, right, or the data in aggregate that they collect by giving away their product for free, recognizing yeah. that's kind of a minefield for a lot of companies. You know, mm-hmm. if you can traverse it appropriately, that that is a viable option. Like, it's just it's a matter of asking these questions because, yeah. for a lot of reasons, right? One is that you actually want to have a successful startup, and that's important. But also because when you're thinking about the design of your product, those questions matter. Like, the answers to those questions help you make design. That's your strategy, right? And it's based mm-hmm. on that that you make decisions about your product. And if you're not answering those questions, well, then sure, you're throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks because you, you haven't really thought about what your strategy is or what your goals are. That sort of thing really helps focus the question of what am I going to build. Right. Mm-hmm. You talked before about some of the tools that you use to determine usability of a site or you know, the various things that you guys look at when you come in to help a company. What types of tools do you use? Can you talk about those? Yeah, I mean, it's a grab bag of tricks, so so I can just talk about a couple of them. Um, I can talk at a really high level. We do we do a lot of uh, customer research, user research, and not just usability testing. In fact, we tend not to do a whole lot of usability testing in our company, at least in the traditional sense. We do a lot of research studies that are ethnographic research studies where we, you know, we'll go out in the field and we'll observe people using in a certain situation or in a certain context and try and come up with interesting ways to model their behavior based on that research, you know, whether it's through telephone, inter- we also do telephone interviews. We, we do occasionally do uh, a thing called remote usability testing with an organization called Bolt Peters here in town, boltpeters.com. And uh, they have a product that basically lets you do usability testing remotely where you can observe people when they come to your site after getting their per- permission observe them using your site sort of from the comfort of their own home. Anyway, just a bunch of different types of research, uh, the goal of which is always basically to model user behavior. And, uh, and when I say that, what I mean is model user behavior across a particular task, right? So one of the reasons we don't talk about – let me try and explain. One of the reasons that we don't talk about 
like user interface. We never talk about ourselves as user interface designers or anything like that. We talk about ourselves as user experience designers is because we really consider the interface to be something that shakes out of a larger understanding and that a, a broader context of use for your application. And it's more important to understand that broader context of use. So if you think of an application as a tool, right, most applications are tools, people are using it to get something or a set of things done, uh, then the bigger question to ask is, you know, why are they trying to get that thing done? What's the context in which they're trying to do it? And then our research is always designed to answer that question. What are they trying to get done? Because then you can step back and say, okay, if we're going to build a tool, how do we make it work within that context? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I, I, realize, I realize I've gotten a little abstract, but honestly, a lot of this stuff ends up being kind of abstract unless you have a really specific problem to point it to. Yeah, I, I can see a lot of people sitting there with their iPod head, headphones in and their eyes just glaze over right there. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, kids. <laughs> Trust me, it's helpful. You know, we also but, don't use that sometimes. I mean, I, anyway, go ahead. Well, it's, it's good to ask why, though. It's, I mean, you know, we, Josh and I run a small hosting company, and there's a ton of hosting companies. And you have to, you know, you, you have to differentiate yourself. And that's actually one of the questions that we asked ourselves is, why use us? Why come to us? And you want to, you know, and, and, and try to get that across to your users. Why? Yeah, absolutely true. Why? What are they trying to accomplish? Is the thing that you built helping them accomplish whatever it is they're trying to accomplish? Because I guarantee you they're not just using your application because they want to use your application, you know? Yeah. All right, maybe a couple of the people that sign up for every Web 2.0 beta are. But, you know, the vast majority of people that you're going to need to use your application if you want it to be successful are trying to get something else done. And I don't know what that might be, whether it's, you know, buy a product or connect with friends or whatever it is they're trying to do. You have to understand mm -hmm. that if you want to design your product well. It's a little bit about sort of removing your ego from the process a little uh. bit. <laughs> anyway. We were talking about the measure map earlier. Now, why would someone want to use measure map over, say, AW stats or Mint or some other stats package? I guess well, getting at the heart of why you guys built it. Sure. Well, I, I uh, let me yeah let me talk about why we built it, and I'll, I'll you can tell me if it answers your question. So um, when we first started kicking around the idea for measure map, it was because of something that we of, of two behaviors that we'd seen out in the world, both of which were incredibly consistent. One of them was that you know everybody we talked to, whether it's just you know somebody using their weblog or somebody working at a huge one of the huge corporations that you know pays for like IBM. Statsphere, WebSphere, whatever it's called. Um, I can't remember what their stats package is. The one thing that they all universally had in common was that they hated their stats package, right? Mm -hmm. Like whatever it was, they hated it. They thought it wasn't very effective. It wasn't very useful. It took too much time to try and understand what the hell was going on. So that was one thing that we saw that was very consistent. The other thing that we saw that was very consistent was that, you know, bloggers are insanely egotistical and will check the stats package that they hate 150 times a day, right? <laughs> And uh, whatever, I do that. I'm, I'm totally lumping myself into that category. Um, Josh, and, uh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> and, uh, and, like, that's great. Like, those are both existing behaviors that you could build a product around, right? So that's kind of how, when we think about products, that's how we start by thinking about them. Like, where can we see an existing need that's clearly very apparent but also underserved? And that was a sweet spot that we recognized. So then we decided to kind of, formulate a philosophy of use and and 
by that I mean we were trying to understand, okay, well, you know, everybody hates their stats package, but why? Why do they hate their stats package? So we went and we looked at a bunch of them, and we, Jeff and I spent a lot of time talking about this, and we realized, you know, the thing is, the problem with every website's stats package is that. It's for every website, right? I mean, what that means is that all it can do is measure the lowest common denominator stuff, right? And that's why we have this language of page views and unique visitors and stuff like that, because every, most stats packages aren't measuring what people are doing on your site. They're measuring what's going on in your server. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's what they do. They're just telling you what's going on on your server, but nobody cares about what's going on on their server. Most people don't even realize they have a server. Most, <laughs> I mean, honestly, these days, like, what people want to know is what are people doing on my site? You know, why are they there? What do they care about? And that's really interesting. It's like flipping the equation on its head, you know? So then we said, okay, well, how can we answer those questions? What are people doing here? What do, what do they want to accomplish? And we realized, uh, you know, websites, you can sort of think of, we started to think of them around here as like different types of websites are, are like different types of film genres, right? So you can go to see a sci-fi or a western or a horror film, and they're all, you know, on the same medium of film, but they all have different rules, and people come to them with different expectations, and people have a different way of interpreting them because they know they're different kinds of films, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, that's also really true. The web has genres, too, and weblogs are a genre. So if I know that a site isn't just a website out in the world, but that it's a weblog, I understand that there are certain tropes, there are certain rules that are always true, right? Like I know that the atomic unit is not the page, it's the post, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that certain pages post pages are more valuable in a sense than other pages, like archive pages, you know, because you care more. Archive pages is just something that someone traverses through to get to another post page. So you can see once we have identified what kind of site it is, we can start making assumptions and, and interpreting, interpreting what's going on on the server in a way that can provide real meaning around the data. You know, we can make all sorts of other assumptions too. I know that the center column links mean something different than the column links on the right side, you know, like they're different kinds of links. Um, so it was with sort of this recognition that we figured, okay, if we build a stats package that's specific to weblogs, we can do a lot of this analysis that I've just been doing on the phone here. We can build a lot of this analysis into the application and make really smart assumptions about what people are doing based on all the stuff that's going on on the server and present that to people instead of just spewing a bunch of numbers at them. Yeah. And that was the basic philosophy behind MeasureMap. It's why when you look at MeasureMap for the first time, if you were, you know, lucky enough to get into the private alpha before it was purchased, um, <laughs> what you saw was like four four big numbers, right? And they, with the exception of visitors, which is the left-hand number, they were numbers that were, you know, kind of uncommon in the stats world. The visitors, um, links, comments, and posts, right? Two mm-hmm. of those, comments and posts, are totally weblog-specific, and two of them, visitors and uh, links, we treated in a very weblog-specific way. I actually did manage to make it into the uh, into the alpha, but I put it on uh, my, my like uh, my pathetic blog, which has uh, very 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 few links. I actually should switch it over since I still have the account and um, and put it on Web Two O Show, which has real stats. Yeah, that yeah, that'd be nice, stats. man. I'm a, I'm a stat junkie. <laughs> yeah. Just leave me out in the cold. <laughs> yeah, it it makes you feel any better. My site gets like 25 visitors a day, and what are you gonna do? Yeah. The uh, adaptive path site, on the other hand, gets uh hell of a lot of traffic, so when I want to cheer up, I just go look at that. <laughs> yeah, you need to write more on there, though, man. <laughs> you have, like, what, two posts? I'm super busy. Super busy! <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so that's, that's kind of the idea behind Measure Map, and that was the thing that we kept in mind as we were designing, and when we were trying to choose features or we were trying to think about how to build it or what to include or what not to include, we would always sort of look back to that as the philosophy, like, how do we, like, is this doing that? You know, is this accomplishing that 180 spin from traditional stats packages? I mean, for the first three months, I was adamant that when we talked about the application, nobody used the word statistics and nobody used the word analytics. Like, uh, that was really important. And that when we thought about how to design the interface, like the way that people looked at it, that we didn't use any charts, right? Like, all those things that you see in stats packages, I didn't want any of that. Like, no charts, no graphs, and I shouldn't say I because it was we because this is very much me and Jeff. Like no charts, no graphs, and eventually we had to start thinking about those things. But when we first started thinking about the product, it was a really powerful way of like saying, okay, this is going to be different. And uh, if you got a chance to play with the application, you saw there's that interesting uh, slider that you can use to navigate yeah. through time and your statistics. That yeah. that came very directly out of like saying we're not going to do this the traditional way. So throw all of those aside, and how else could we do this? Yeah, that was actually pretty cool. It took me a second to figure out. It's like, why am I not seeing any of these stats? Oh, I need a little slider to get to the other days. <laughs> yeah, it, there's there's always a trade-off. I mean, I think every web 2.0 Ajaxy flashy interface organization struggles with this a little bit. You know, how how to how much new can I make this thing? You know what I mean? Versus how much yeah. do I have to stick with old conventions? And you just you try and walk that line. Yeah, I actually just linked to a, an article recently. Uh, Yahoo released some user interface guidelines to try to help um, guide right. the 2.0 applications. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I think Bill Scott is uh, one of the guys that worked on that. I think, and he's a really, really smart guy. He's their uh, Ajax evangelist at Yahoo. So mm-hmm. now I'm actually somewhat. I'm, I'm actually a programming language junkie. Um, what was Measure Map written in? Uh, Ruby on Rails. Was it really excellent? It That's was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was, um, and uh, at the time we made that decision, such as we made that decision. I mean, that was, you know, we sort of went with what the, what we don't. We've known the 37 Signals guys for a long time and have a lot of faith in them, and obviously saw that they were having some success. And um, I don't know. We just we like working. We like pushing the envelope. And I guess this would have been January. We made that decision back in January of uh, last year. So mm-hmm. a little a little ahead of the curve yeah. on adopting that. You know. Early enough that people were still screaming that like Ruby would never scale, which you know <laughs> clearly clearly is not true. Right. So did you I, so did uh, you have any problem scaling it or I mean how many can you tell me how many people were in the uh, in the the pre-alpha? I can't actually. Oh, Don't okay. hate me for that. Sorry. Suck. <laughs> um, there are things I just can't say. Can um, you say that it's can you say that it scaled well? <laughs> uh, I can I can say that it scaled as well as every other web application scales, which is to say there comes a point at which you're like, ah shit, we gotta redo some of this. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Crap, back to the drawing board. To, to me to me that's great. That's uh, um Rail Dornfest is the CTO of O'Reilly, um, once said to me that having people to ask you whether or not your application, worrying that your application won't scale is a great sign because it means that people care enough about your application that they really want it to scale, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, a lot of this is just about success. Like, that's a great sign. If you have to recode a little bit of your application because there are enough people using it that it's, you know, starting to weigh down the system, you can look at that as a negative or you can look at it as a really great thing. Um, that's definitely a positive response to <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, maybe not a great thing for some of your, you know, annoyed users, but but oh. for the rest of the world, <laughs> yeah. Um, so are you planning any other uh, Web 2.0 uh, type products in the future? 
Well, we are. I mean, we consider product development a, a line of business for the company, and there again, it's dormant at the moment. But it's entirely possible that we'll do it again at some point. I, I think we're all t- we're happy to take a little bit of a breather from that at the moment. <laughs> you know, it's a. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you you know sort of incubate it inside a larger company or not. A, starting a company is exa- or starting having a startup is an exhausting process. Good, good, exhausting. Like totally worth the work. But I think yeah. I think we're all. We're all a little happy to chill out. And I have this new ventures line of business that you know, gives me the opportunity to continue to work with really interesting and innovative technologies and design really cool and world-shattering products right. without necessarily having to do a whole new product ourselves. Okay. So, guys, I actually have to, I kind of have to get going because we're pushing up on 6.15. Okay, cool. Um, oh, actually, I think we were done with our questions anyway. Yeah. yeah. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention about Adaptive Path before we... Uh... uh you know, I mentioned uh, you're, I love I love this company. We do a lot of different stuff. We are, you know, always interested in new people and new ideas. So if you happen to be in the neighborhood, stop by. We're in the South Park, San Francisco. If it's four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, we're having a party because we have a party every Friday at four o'clock, and everybody's welcome. So you can always stop on by. Um, that's that's something to do if you're in San Francisco. Um, the only other thing I'll say is, you know, we do have events and workshops and stuff, and if you're interested in really getting into some of, like, the tools and the techniques that we use uh, and that I sort of started to allude to around, like, research and modeling, uh, we teach a lot of that in our workshops. We have a very sort of open-source attitude towards all our IP and methodologies, and we try and give it away in every form that we can. So very cool. some of it's downloadable on the site. Some of it's, you know, we do in workshops. Uh, other than that, yeah, I think that's all I want to say. Awesome. Well, all right. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for coming on the show. This has been a Steel Pixel production. For more information about Steel Pixel, you can check out steelpixel.com. Or for more information about the show, feel free to check out web20show.com. That's W-E-B-2-0-S-H-O-W.com.